Maguire, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. How good are these Irish? Well, the Irish have come to play, haven't they? Good evening and welcome to the Molecast on Orgy 2 here for the Olympic Games. It's 3.45am. <laughs> We've got some rhythmic gymnastics coming up in just a minute after the diving. And a defined benefit pension for me. I'm not giving this one up. I am the Montrose Robot. <laughs> They've made me age very realistically. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. After Ireland's wonderful win on uh, last Saturday morning, which uh, we did preview but never published, um, I want to ask you two guys, what do you think the selection strategy has been for this tour and do you think it's coherent? As in, are we trying to are we trying to ease this tour to blood players? You brought two uncapped players, they've got 15 minutes. We, didn't, we wondered why maybe Quinn Rue played. We wondered yeah. why... Um, There's a lot of questions there already. Why Tyke Byrne wasn't on the bench last week. I mean, he, he played the final the week before, or two weeks before, but... So, why, I, I don't know. Where do you think, it's, where do you think uh, Joe Schmidt's selection head has been for these well, two test games? I always games? say that selection is an art and not a science. Uh, and by that I mean there are... In, with, every, with every selector, with every head coach, there are... Uh, irregularities that you could point to he selected this person why didn't he select this other person because of the same logic uh, but there should be a strand of logic in selection it doesn't mean that the same logic necessarily applies the question about Quinn Rue that you brought up is is a good one Joe is determined like Joe sees something in Quinn Rue that most other people in in Irish rugby don't see everyone knows that Quinn Rue is a, a big fellow who can push in the scrum uh, but if you asked most Irish rugby fans which Connacht lock they thought was a good bet to be, you know, a medium to long term international, I'm pretty sure 90% of them would say Ulton Delan. Uh, now Delan, as we said before, compared to Quinn Rue, he's on roller skates in the scrum. He just he's not a, a particularly good scrummager. But I think overall he's he's a better rugby player. Um, and he's, he's that bit younger as well, but it's m- more to do with the explosion that he brings. He's a more impactful carrier. Um, and people's champ as well. He is the people's champ. He, you know, people respond to him. So Quinru, um, Quinru is a bit of an anomaly in selection. You've you've more sort of coherent points there than I do when we were talking about why select Quinru, why not select. The thing about Quinn Rue was that you can bring 31 players to the World Cup and we brought 31 players um, to last year. Last year's uh, Japan-America tour. Mm. America. America. And the extra, the only posi- the position that's different was the extra second row. And we were talking a few weeks back about, you know, did he want to do full-on scrummaging? Did he want to have two full-eights? Because he, he has more than two full-eights mm. bringing Quinn Rue. Um, he's too full eights in Quinn Rue <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much well, he's, this is the thing he's got two full eights Quinn Rue and a scrum half a third scrum half mm. right so he doesn't need Quinn Rue and he doesn't pick either of his 
well, they're two scrum halves. They're, they're the main two things about this touring party that are inconsistent. And I suppose my, my feeling about the tour was, was it journey or destination? Uh, and I think on the first tour, like Joe Schmidt is the great process man. And even after the first test, he was talking about all the what ifs and the maybes and, you know, Australia that good. So we can just control what we can control and just hope the result looks after itself. And then he went out and picked his strongest team, picked Johnny Sexton, brought back Johnny Sexton, brought in Tyke Furlong. Levy. Brought in Levy. So, like, I mean, when, when I saw the Irish team, yeah. when I saw the team pick for the first test, I was there going, right, he's got Carby at out half, John Ryan, Rob Herring, and, you know, a not great form, Jack McGrath. So he's got, like, his third choice front row. Mm-hmm. And a guy playing it out half, he's played one match there all season. You know, that team should not be favourites over a full strength Aussie mm. team at home. Whereas when I saw the second test team and I went, Johnny Sexton's playing out half and Tyke Furlong is playing tight head, I went, we're going to win this. I, but I'd definitely back us like if, if we were the same price again. So somewhere along the line, the result became the most important thing about that tour. And Devon Toner, of all people, who <laughs> never gets the praise, like my wife was asking me, how come never no one talks about Devon Toner? And I went, I don't know. We he's, talk, we talk about yeah, him a lot, but like him, he's yeah. got he's got four Heineken Cup winners medals and a Grand Slam, and he's uh, he's not the four miter second or given James Ryan, but like he's 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 given Ian Henderson a right old run for his money. Better than Henderson this year. Better than Henderson this year, and. Dev's quote was, we play these games to win them. We play these series to win them. We don't just come down for a tour to Australia. And that seems really to have been the message all the way from the players. And it's probably not one that I would have shared. I would have been like, ah, well, you know, this is a great opportunity. We never beat Australia. If we can put in solid performances and like, I'm wrong because winning is the most important thing. Like winning is winning gives you such confidence. Winning mm-hmm. gives you such assurance. Winning is better long term. And, and like, it's not up to Joe Schmidt to make guys play international rugby. Like if if they have an opportunity, if they're down there training, if they have an opportunity to play really well during the season, and and make a case for themselves. But <laughs> there's. <laughs> There are there are a few. You just go back to those those two positions. Like, why not just play tight burn for the last fifteen minutes of both tests? Mm-hmm. Like, forget about Ulton Delan and sort of the argument. Maybe I mean tight burn has been superb. He's been the best second row in the Pro Fourteen for the last two seasons. Probably the best forward. Probably the best forward. Um, and. Like if if you're only going to give him 15 minutes at the end of a match, why not give him two 15 yeah. minutes at the end of the match? I was sort of hoping that he would be picked at blindside for one of the tests, and then Peter Romani, Peter Romani played his best game for Ireland since certainly since the England match in possibly ever, possibly ever, possibly ever. Like very he, good against France in that game, he got injured in the World in Cup. the World Cup, but that was for a half. Yeah. Um, so it's really down to those two matches and given that he was captain against Australia I think it was his best match for Ireland He's ever super game. and I think that Devon Toner has had his best season ever and both of them are on the back of competition but it's it's like it's realistic competition it's it's not it's not creative competition I think the players have actually looked across and gone shit I better perform so it's not just a case of if I keep on doing what I've been doing I won't get dropped it's a case of I better pull something out here 
or your man will take my place. And uh, it, it that's a real strength. Um, and there's, not, there's not really enough of those. There's something which we talked about uh, after the match on, on Saturday uh, about players whose, whose position isn't under threat or who there's no... There's no... Uh, the, their their so backup hasn't been given a shot, and you look know, at Robert Carney at number fifteen, uh, Stander at number eight, uh, and the key one is is uh, Connor Murray at number nine. You know, I certainly made this point to you earlier that you know Schmidt dropped Sexton for the first game, um, and you know both Schmidt and Nusa Four will put some degree of pressure. At, on Joey Carberry to move either to Ulster or to Munster in order for him to get regular minutes at number 10. And um, and then you look at, you know, who's our backup for uh, for Conor Murray? Like, what, what minutes did our, our backup players get our... Marmion got two and uh, Cooney got one. So, like, it, it's pathetic. And Cooney got his one playing it. And he would have to replace the Sexton. And yeah, we were fortunate. No, he just came on the wing because uh, Joey had already come on in second row, but he was covering. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were twelve points up with fourteen minutes to go in Australia, so it's a good lead. It is that that would have been a good time to bring on Cooney, yeah, uh, because I personally think Cooney's great. Like I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a risk bringing on Cooney uh, when you have significantly fatigued Conor Murray. Like, Cooney has had a superb season, and it would have. It was a good commanding position to be in, but it was still a big game. Uh, I were really. It was the only really um, blotch on on the match for me is that once again we just sat our sub scrum half in a position where we really need to explore what sort of depth we have. And this doesn't this doesn't come down merely to fan curiosity and for for a wish to tinkering because you know th- there is that's part of it. But that's always it, part of it. It yeah, comes yeah. down to Darren Cave syndrome. It comes down to picking a guy in a squad for a tournament and then just not picking him in that position when it comes not, not even con- like obviously considering him and then just they're going nah. And you go what is the point? Like what is the point of carrying in a specialist second center? And then having an injury crisis at second centre and not picking the only special second mm. centre in the squad. Like, it's it's stupid. So, the obvious risk for Ireland is Conor Murray. There's risks in other positions, and the next obvious one is Johnny Sexton. And, like, if your halfbacks are two Robert, of the best... Robert as well. If you consider, yeah. like, up till last year, our, our fullback uh, floweth over. You know, we had Kearney, and if Kearney was injured with Zebo, and if... Uh, Zebo was playing on the wing. It was it was pain. Um, you know, three really good fullbacks. Robbie Henshaw played a couple of internationals there, didn't he? Play? Was it the South Africa games? Yeah, he hasn't played anything at fullback. He played for oh no, hang on, he did. He did play. He started a couple of games at fullback. I he thought. played for Connacht in his first season yeah. at fullback, and he may have played against. Um, I mean, he made him his debut at, he definitely has played at fullback he made his debut actually I tell a lie he made his debut at fullback against uh, America Middle in June 2013 2013 yeah oh, so himself I, 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 and Stuart Olding who I, were the same age I thought he played there more recently 
And then Felix Jones shared that. So Felix Jones yeah. is retired, Payne is retired, Zebo has gone into self-imposed exile, and he's gonna, he's you know, hopefully, he, you I suppose he's he's gonna hope, like as you said, like he can joke and pick who he wants. So you know, Zebes, if if Carney is injured, Zebes can force his hand. Uh, Dave Carney played a bit there for Leinster last season. I think it's Dave's best position. It is Dave's best position. Um, Dave can score tries, but he can run an open field. He's really good in the air. But uh, Tiernan Halloran is... And Tiernan Halloran is... I mean, Tiernan Halloran was really good down in South Africa, I yeah, thought. Um, and since then, hasn't seen the light of day. He like, seems to have got on the wrong side of Schmidt. I don't know what the story is exactly. If there is a story. Because all Halloran looks like, very frequently like the best attacking fullback in, in Ireland. Yeah. Mm. That's the same with Sean Cronin. You just... It is impossible to tell from the outside what they've done wrong. Um, so, like, so text in if you know that. <laughs> we still have a lot of like uh, Andrew Conway can play fullback. He can, yeah, he can. But it, you know, Conway's still very, very inexperienced as an international player. Uh, I think it was against Australia's either his sixth or his seventh cap. Um, I know he's been around. He's got a lot of uh, interprovincial rugby under his belt. Probably, I think it's. I think he had forty games for Leinster, and he's up almost at a hundred. For, for Munson they get really almost the sort of stats you'd see from a premiership player um, but very few international games mm. and he has the tendency unfortunately to pick up um, small incapacitating injuries mm. another one there at the weekend with his hip pointer uh, a part of that is down to his bravery so I suppose from an Irish perspective I would hope that he plays a lot of fullback for Munster this season in light of Zebo going and in light mm. of the fact that they're bringing in Haley to from Sale possibly, yeah possibly to fill that role uh, which will be but again I haven't seen much of Haley, um, so I don't really know Sale aren't on the box an awful lot and I wouldn't watch him if they were but uh, <laughs> but that'll be interesting to see whether he, whether he does you know, stake a claim for the number 15 jersey. Because Carberry's going to Munster and you sort of go, well, Jesus, Carberry's going to be the best fullback in Munster squad. But... He could uh, easily be, yeah. They can't. He's a super fullback. <laughs> they, they can't pick him there. Uh, can they? Can they genuinely... Munster genuinely pick Carberry at fullback? But he's going to be expected to cover fullback. Wow, is he? In, in, if he's on an Ireland bench wearing the 22 jersey, mm-hmm. isn't he going to be expected to cover fullback? He's going to be the first fullback off the rank, isn't he? If there's an injury to Robert Kearney? It, it depends. Yeah. It could be the armor, you see. See, yeah, it depends. It, it depends who you have on your bench. Like, say, uh, Rory O'Loughlin has like a really good season for Leinster. He covers centres and wings, so you can pick Carberry to cover fullback. And but then he's just saying like Larmer covers pretty much everywhere across the mm. back line from thirteen, but thirteen, thirteen through to fifteen. Yeah, yeah, 11, 13 through to fifteen. So, um, no, the the. They're first world problems, and as somebody pointed out to somebody else on Twitter, well, we live in the first world. What other sort of what sort of problems do you expect <laughs> to have? So, it's 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 uh, it's really positive. It's it's a change of mindset. Yeah, because to uh, expect to win in the second, I I checked the Sydney Morning Herald briefly to see what the Aussies were talking about, and they're talking about it as though like, oh, you treat it like a grand final week. They're really going to be up for it. They're talking about going through their lines and getting their getting everything as accurate as they possibly can, so you don't have to think about it. Um, like it is a real proper test match for them. Mm. Whereas 
I don't think I mean I don't check this any morning Herald before every Ireland match but I don't think they've ever thought of an Irish match at home like that mm. I think the assumption has always been that did they need should they need to score that they will be able to score but even in, even when we beat them in uh, neutral soil in 2011 remember the Australians were really sat down about that they were f- like fair play to it all but like Ireland they were really shocked that they had lost and you know the, the recent history between the uh, teams had been split exactly down the middle and the previous five games to that had been I think had been played home it, wins and home home wins all the way isn't it pretty much no there'd been a, draw. a draw over here yeah you know, the we, Draco we scored three in the post times in, in Dublin won two and drawn one and we lost both of our away games so it shouldn't have been that much of a, a surprise them that they lost but uh, that there has been a sea change, um, or there'd been a change of um, just of thinking of with regards to uh, Ireland's threat, which is which is good. Uh, and we looked at some of the other changes that have uh, happened, and France is looking, you know, very competent, and New Zealand are looking a little bit worse than they have um, in in a number of years. Um. Before we go on to that, no, I want to. I want to talk about. I, I, I want to ask you both about the 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 actual test match in in Melbourne, um, and what you thought of the uh, refereeing decisions, particularly surrounding the yellow cards, which didn't I come. You thought they were fucking uh, shite. <laughs> I was not happy with them. I also was hung over as I alerted everyone to. Um, I remember I watched it back on Sunday with the Aussie commentary, which was enjoyable. Um, and it was funny. They went from sort of crowing about everything. They still do a lot of crowing. But to switching to it was kind of grudging respect uh, after we sort of wasted the entire sin bin that we had against us, the first sin bin. Corbett is one, yeah. Uh, no, the 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 one the first uh, yellow card that we picked up. Oh, um, Keen Healy. Healy's one for collapsing the, the penalty try one. And uh, we didn't really let them play any rugby and we slowed it down and reset scrums and they were like, gee, that's good. Gee, that's good, Phil. And then in the second half, they were like, gee, this is a good time. Uh, having gone from being like a very, I don't know what the, I don't know what the ref's at here to being mm. like, oh, actually, maybe it's because we can't get the, our hands on the ball. Anyway, uh, we conceded a penalty try and Keane Healy got a yellow card for it. <clears throat> um. They've actually gotten rid of that kind of thing in, in football, the double jeopardy, where we're getting punished twice for the same infringement. He already scored the try. He wasn't keen. He wasn't given a warning. It was the first penalty within five metres. He got a yellow card. Australia gave away three penalties before tries. Jack McGrath's try wasn't given for a double movement. Keith Earl's try wasn't given for... Uh, touch. No, it wasn't. He didn't quite have control of it. I feel like both of those could have been given. Like, that's how close they were. I, oh, yeah, they were close. Um, Neither of them were tries, but they were close. Super close. The Keith Earls one, I was like, did it really go out of his hands at any yeah, point? It did, yeah. Uh, and then Tyke Brown scored just an absolutely, just like... Tyke Furlong. Tyke Furlong scored, yeah. Just a, a tremendously brilliant fend. Um, but basically, like... The Rikishi fend. There were three scores. Three, like... Nailed on denied scores that had penalty advantages within <laughs> three meters. Um, That's fake news. <laughs> and like they didn't get a yellow card. And then there was an intentional slap down, and they didn't get a yellow card. And then we did one of those and an intentional knock on and got two yellow cards. 
I just thought it was. I thought there was the daft things that a referee should get right. I agree uh, that that he was overly lenient towards the Australians and incorrectly lenient. Uh, they, as you say, they had those three penalties within five meters. All of us on the attack, you know, one after another, one after the other. He should certainly, and he should certainly have sin binned person. It doesn't matter if we scored or not. Yeah. Um, and then with the Jack McGrath thing. I think it's the yellow card, but I also think so is the one where we have an overlap and, and th- it wasn't their first slap down pass. It was their third yeah. in the game. Yeah. Well, and it was the most dangerous one because we had Larmer outside. Um, there's also the point that in the, in the first test, you know, when Conor Murray was complaining and cursed at the referee because your man was holding the ball. Yeah. In. That's a very similar offence. Well, the referee looked at it this time because the players, because Pocock asked him to. Yeah. And Nick Phipps asked him to. So it's, and he it's looked a, at it. It's a very... Now, can't, I can't give him, I can't blame this referee for what didn't happen in the first test. You can try it. But you can see why players would be frustrated by because it, it's like, it's not, like, I'm just calling it in the second. It's yeah. the thing that's happened when the, the game has stopped and like, it, it's like, okay, I can assess this situation. There did seem to be one row for the... Aussies and another I, I have two suspicions about it. One is that for all the time we spend with the ball, we are not a guilt-edged attacking team. And I think one of the great truisms in rugby is the team going forward gets the referee's decisions. It, it Refs can't help themselves. It's, it's just the nature of the game. Um, and I'd always make the point to any team I, I played on or I, I coached in particular that if you're going forward you get decisions and the second point would be so shut up and I think that all of our leaders are quite shrill I don't think like like Sexton is just always cranky uh, I was surprised at Murray cursing at the ref but I was there going oh it's a bad look and then I think Peter Romani's got much better at referees but frequently he's very sort of moany at them or certainly he, he, he was a few years ago yeah. I don't know if he's and I don't know if being captain sort of allows you to be better I remember being in a, a discussion, of course, a number of years ago, um, and they're talking about the England team in 2003 and Martin Johnson being the captain. And in the World Cup final, certainly, but maybe in other big matches, certainly in the World Cup final, um, Johnson wasn't the point man for the ref. I think it was Berger refereeing. He wasn't the point man. Matthew Dawson said everything. And the reason being that Johnson is a glowering, six foot seven inch, grumpy hard second row mm. who's just going to be intimidating no matter what he says whereas um, Dawson who's quite an annoying individual uh, oh he's really fucking annoying is, deeply deeply annoying but is but, but was at the ref's level just height wise and they said we'll have Dawson because Dawson had captain England mm-hmm. says we'll have Dawson say everything because he, he's, he's much less threatening to referees he's not going to intimidate the referee and make mm-hmm. him offensive and I was there going Phew, the Put a bit of thought into that. Well, besties are very. Besties clearly got that charm there. Besties and besties, and it's a great strength. Yeah, and like and besties in the center of play all the time. Like every set piece, he's he's an, an integral part of. You just you, you can't get away from it. He's so every breakdown, he's legitimate right to be there. He doesn't have to trot in like Draco did or like you know anybody playing in the back, sort of the outside second center back three does, um, and like. Just, I don't think he can underestimate it as a captain. Um, so they'd be the two reasons that I think that Ireland just don't get given, you know, our tries are sort of typically slow grinding affairs mm-hmm. rather than beautiful flash affairs. We don't tend to make 50 metre attacks at a sweep. We tend to mm-hmm. just crush the living day outside of teams. We actually, t- 
We've had quite a few nice attacks, but we've been poor at finishing them off in these in this series at least. The Keith Earls one and this one and the CJ Stander one and the last one were both they weren't quite fluff. It was a good tackle by Dane Hale Petty on this one. Mm. But you know, they could have been beautiful tries. Um mm. one of the things other things I, I noticed from a second viewing was that um I felt Australia would have really benefited from using uh, everyone in Europe's tactics of smashing Johnny Sexton late after the ball because it just didn't do it to him. And he completely ran the show. I mean, I'm not uh, sure if it's a point of discussion, but like no, they... will do it at the weekend. They'll do, do it next weekend. They just, they just didn't do it. Like they like when he ran a loop or when he ran a double line and passed it behind or passed it flat, they just didn't tackle him. And it was like, well, that's what's supposed to happen. But everyone yeah. in France and everyone in England will just give him a, like a shoulder to the chest or a, an elbow to the I, ear or I whatever. I am sort of surprised, but I think one of the things that Schmidt did do well, and it, it was mentioned to me, and then I watched the match again, and I was that we targeted to run at Hooper and Pocock. We targeted to get Hooper and Pocock to make tackles mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't be involved in the breakdown. Like We tried to take that breakdown threat away from them, and more often than not, it was Sexton running at a... running you know, from his 10 position and then passing the ball inside or outside. Mm, short, yeah. Short. It's a guy who was going to get tackled, but importantly, he was going to get tackled by Hooper and Pocock. And then as soon as they were on the ground, they were absolutely blitzed by two guys coming in. <laughs> like, yeah. It was that we knew where we wanted to attack. We knew we wanted them to make the tackle and we knew we were going to smash the absolute bejesus out of them once, once they made that tackle. So, I don't know if it was a decision from those guys that they didn't want to waste an opportunity. Like they didn't want to waste a hit on uh, Sexton in order that they could concentrate mm-hmm. on stealing the next ball because they they profited so well out of it. Um, look, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But I think there was a big turning point for me again. In my rewatch was uh, uh, the drop off in quality of Curtly Beale's kicking in the second game from the first game was just huge. They were all too long. Every single one of them was too long, and they didn't get, didn't bring uh, Falao into the game at all in the in the way that they could do in the in the first game. Mm. They couldn't utilize them as a weapon because just so many of them were just five yards too long, and it was a clean catch from an Irish guy. He might get tagged or tackled, but it was it was so what? It was a clean catch. Could have taken it like on the ground. The Aussies launched, uh, you know, they they certainly had a media story about how they were considering complaining about Ireland's tactics of blocking Falau and blocking the runners and the chasers and all that sort of stuff. So maybe the guys just ran good interference and didn't allow the Aussies chase. Yeah. But I appreciate what you're saying. I mean, I think he... And again, it just it brought home to me how good Sexton is. Like, how many of Sexton's kicks land just outside the 22? How, mm. how many of them have a huge amount of height in them? How many kickoffs land in the 22 immediately followed by uh, by a tackler mm-hmm. like immediately uh, mm-hmm. Trimby used to be the man who'd chase up and like just nail you as soon as he caught the ball um, and like Sexton he's not a beautiful sexy out half like Bowden Barrett in terms of all these cars cutting breaks but like you just don't get a break when you're playing against the bloke mm. he like there's you know, like, there's nothing he gives you absolutely nothing. And so we're talking about game management. We're talking about that idea that game management became shorthand for kicking and creativity became shorthand for passing. But the, the, the difference between Joey Carberry and Johnny Sexton, even from kickoffs, like, you know, 
loose kickoffs in the first half to Izzy Folau that we were never going to get back that gave their best fielder an opportunity to get his hands on the ball against kickoffs that just gave them one option one of the other things they were talking about in, in the week building up to the third test is uh, concentrating on their exits that they're really aware that they got trapped down in their 22 an awful lot and it's kind of easier said than done because Sexton Sexton and Murray don't they don't give you much at all. Hmm. I also thought another thing that we discussed previously a few weeks ago that was really, really important in that test match was the value of um, uh, choosing what to do with a penalty and, in our case, kicking loads of points when we'd um, gone seven down. We did strike back with a try and we did go to the corner for the first one and then like scored immediately in a really smart move. But then we kicked all our points, and we by the time I think it was after Corbetti's uh, Simeon was over, we'd scored sixteen points. Well, Murray Kinsler wrote a great piece on the the the, the Conway try that when Corbetti went off, and he says that when it's actually Falau, interesting enough, marks that that space, that sort of blindside space. Uh, when they've got fifteen, but when they don't have fifteen, Falau goes out wide, and they leave that space undefended. So the, the the risk to them is obviously out wide. Um, so that Ireland threw, like ran a dummy pod up the front, threw to James Ryan at the tail, which is going to put them under pressure. Like, do they do they compete in that or do they let it go off the top? Because there is a prospect of us going off the top. Um, and then we mauled it. And Sexton and... And there's even like, there's a, there's a clip of uh, Sexton and Murray talking to Conway just before the line out. And then Sexton goes that way, and Murray throws a great pass to Conway over the head. But that—that's where the space was, and like it's—it's it's the two lads know that. It's the two lads know beforehand what's going to happen. Mm. And there was there was a documentary made of the England World Cup team in two thousand and three, and Johnny Wilkinson is up the front in front of his whiteboard, with all the moves that they're going to play in different parts of the pitch. I think like when they have different scores, that you're going out there and you know it, and. This part of it seems a bit robotic because you want to imagine that these guys can can just play it off the cuff. Some of them can, like, you know, the Curtly Beale running the switch line to score his try. Like, that's beautiful, instinctive rugby. But a lot of it is just that you've you've taught your way through the match before it's even played. Like you bend the match to your will mm-hmm. by by knowing we're going to attack there. If he goes off, if they're playing this defense, this is where we're going to go. And like it, it's it's going to be really effective without it looking. But it was a lovely pass from Murray to execute it. But it was just like Ireland knew they were going to do that because mm-hmm. Murray and Sexton were on the pitch making it happen. Referee blows for half time. The crowd didn't like that. You had brought up New Zealand before. Uh, I turned that game off after the red card. <laughs> I was disgusted by the red yeah. card. Um, I yeah I, I was disgusted at everything about it I was there going just the game is in a complete and utter jock if this is the way it is I was there going Benjamin Fowl should know better I tweeted to that effect just going I think I used goat rather than naive but like you sort of going it's a French word like you guys have coined this and there you are upending Barrett and then somebody on the back of it tweeted retweeted George Murray's tweet to me. So George Murray is the, the Munster video analyst who taken a freeze grab from his skybox 
or like sorry had taken a like a, a recording yeah. of his from his guy with his phone like yeah. with his phone of Leonard Brown giving Fall a push that meant that he upended and I was there going how do they not see this yeah how does a guy on a skybox see this and how do the referees not see this so not to make this all about refereeing but I was there thinking like it's just the Kiwis are so cynical and they get away with it and it's to, to the extent that as much as I like Bowden Barrett I was there they're like feck Bowden Barrett I don't, I don't care if he's landed on the shoulder he's not going to be able to play this or if he's landed like that he's landed really badly he's like feck it I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that, that like I remember when I was, I was in Toulon at a Leinster quarterfinal when Jared Payne got sent off for upending um, Saracen's guy uh, Saracen's guy good. Good. good yeah and I was watching it in, in the square there um I remember it happened, and I was like, "Oh, he's, that's he's not going to get." It. And it's it's it seems weird now, but at the time, I was convinced that that was an accident, and that was definitely going to be a yellow card. And there's no chance he'll get a red. Uh, and if you recall, like they gave Alex Good oxygen and everything like that, uh, and Payne got a red. Famously, got a red, and um, it was it was a real, in my opinion, that was a real watershed uh, moment for. That challenge in the air because when we were growing up you'd see massive collisions in the air and see lads going head over heels flying around and the ref would just go you know it is what it is he yeah. wouldn't say anything he wouldn't say good contest play on mm. it was like this happened if you went up for the ball in the air um, so Budden Barrett obviously came down very hard and you know was written out of the match and it's probably going to miss the next match as well but uh, and but since uh, you know since the match falls, red card has been rescinded because he was he was pushed into it. Uh, John Langford incidentally was on the judiciary panel. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, he was one of the three. Um, that that he was pushed in, and we've seen that before. We've seen a player get pushed into, uh, pushed into a jumping player, and normally, normally the ref sees it. So this one, he he, he just missed it, and it was. Uh, but it's not just the ref. Like it, it, they replayed the incident, and the mm. guy took it from his skybox. Like it was obviously, it obviously happened. So the telly ref didn't see it. Neither of the guys. I mean, you, you think that not even it. on camera seven. Not even camera seven. Oh, I saw it on camera seven. Yeah, it's not happening. It's on camera seven. <laughs> that was. I'm oh, sorry. And of all the things on our on our referee bitch fest, but that that was an absolutely irrelevant try. But. Can you imagine, and not just Ireland, can you imagine any country having a TMO give, like stop a winning try, not not allow a winning try? There's, there's no reason not to award the mm. try, except for camera seven. Yeah. And no one else can see it in the TMO. No one else in the fucking world. No one else in the world can see it except camera seven, which yeah. only I have. And that is a joke. You, you, there's no way you can run any professional sport. No, that's that a nonsense. That was the nonsense we should have. So we, that was the, the try at the end in the of the Ireland game. It's Marlins yeah. try. Yeah. Did they not oh, show the, that it oh, sort of looked like it might have come loose, but there was nothing conclusive? Camera seven. I've got a conclusive look in camera seven. You can't, oh, sorry. You can't yeah, see yeah. it. That's what he said. He said, like. I was, I was wondering whether they were bothered to rewind it. it, was like it was just no, they never showed it. So nobody in the. Nobody in the the TMO. The stadium the saw TMO. It. Nobody on the broadcast saw it. It wasn't even they didn't show it. TMO just goes, you don't have it. But I've got a clear knock on. That, like oh what a joke the ref should clearly say that mate if you can't show it to me 
Uh, don't be telling me that shit. So yeah. I thought that <laughs> that's I, what he should say. I thought that. Sorry, France, I said that facetiously, but he said, "Don't, don't tell me something which you can't show me." And I thought, like, it's for, like a good literature thing. Show, don't tell. I thought for as Chekhov's much gun. Chekhov's thought, gun, kill your darlings. I thought for as much that Chekhov's gun <laughs> was Fal's red card is rescinded and it's kind of justice for Fal. Like the match was over once. Once Fowl was gone, it's 14 against 15. It's in New Zealand. Game over. The so. All weren't good, though. And it's a real shame because France had gone out with real intention. They hadn't been, hadn't been disheartened mm. by the fact that they'd been absolutely hosed. If, if anything, they were, uh, they were mad out to get even in, in that second test. And there, there, there seems to be much more of a confidence about France and a sense of purpose that they haven't had and I know that when Jack Brunel was appointed we were talking about them before the Six Nations well I was going. completely negative about it Brunel is not a good appointment but he seems to have been a good appointment very good I have to like to be honest I'm about frequently wrong what's what's more regular than frequent <laughs> regularly um, I thought Brunel was a bad appointment he's turned out to be the best French coaching appointment uh, in a number of years, um, it's hard to be definitive because uh, he's, he's better than Noves, although Noves wasn't as bad as the French thought he was by getting fired. He's better than San Andre, yeah, better he's than San Andre, better, better than Lievermont, Lievermont, probably because so better as since Laporte, yeah. Now, he, you know, it's very, it's still red for the early days, like it's a year, mm. um, less than a year, uh, but. The French are building something on it, and it's. I know that he has nothing necessary to do with this, but they also won the under 20s for the first time in their history. Yes. So, French rugby seems to be rebounding. I looked at the way that they played against us, um, that is in the, in the Six Nations. Uh, I had never seen a French team as physically fit as the team that we faced. Mm. Like, they didn't have an awful lot to do when they had the ball, they, they were limited in their attack. But they were ferocious in defence, really well motivated, jackal like crazy from numbers one through now not nine and ten, but like both centres were great jackals, Dumaru and, and Bastro, and especially their front row. So they're super competitive at the breakdown. Um, I'm really impressed with both their props, and you know Babylon played extremely well. Uh, the cast flanker. And I thought Camera was super in the Six Nations. Camera's a super player. And Wes Sassolari has been good all season for... Um, for Racing, yeah. For Racing. You know, they've really... Like, it, they were impressive. It was it was an unfortunate game. To, it was ruined when it went down. I see people come up with different ideas of how you can get around red cards or what, what different outcomes could be. Should you sin bin the player for 10 minutes and then keep him off the pitch but another player can replace him the black so the, card the famous black card, black card. <laughs> oh no the black card I've got to execute him um, or should it be a mandatory penalty try you know I, I don't know what do you guys think yeah it's, I, I saw that the green or orange card mooted um and I guess that maintains the thing where you discourage the player from doing it because he doesn't get to play, but you do maintain the competitiveness of the game. Um, it's an idea. It's an idea, but you see what happens in in um, 
in this case that you injure their best player and you lose a player and he might be like Benjamin Fall is, is like you can't compare him to Bowden Barrett in well, terms of ability they, 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 or his dominance thing, in the game so there's a thing right they, 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 did a, they did a thing where um, in in soccer they've got the apart from his brothers double jeopardy <laughs> right uh, so you used to be if you made a professional foul or what was considered a professional foul you would concede a penalty and you get sent off. Yeah. And then you say Jens Lehmann was that back then? Yeah, so Jens Lehmann got sent off for failing Samuel Etu in the two thousand six Champions League final. Yeah. Um they rescinded that now. So then there's an example this morning, Colombian guy first few minutes of the game. No, no, no. The guy Sanchez got sent off today against Japan. He intentionally blocked his blocked a shot with his hand. So he's like, that's not that's that's considered a professional foul. Whereas now a last man challenge where you make a legitimate attempt, what is considered a legitimate attempt to play the ball, you're not sent off. You get a yellow card and it's a penalty. But the guy who just like is charging through and goal and you just pull his jersey back or you just scythe them down and make no attempt to get the ball, <clears throat> they go, it's still a red card. And so they, they differentiate the kind of foul by saying you were making a genuine attempt to play the ball there. It was a genuine contest. Whereas for a foul, they're like, oh, it doesn't matter that it was genuine. You were never going to catch the ball. You were never going to get it. So even though you weren't looking at the ball, someone pushed you on the way, you jumped up, you knocked Bowden Barrett. If Bowden Barrett had landed a different way, it wouldn't actually matter. Yeah, that's the Like, it's, it's just that. how much did he spin in the air? You know, because that's the same with, with, um, with the tackle on Robert Carney, the tip tackle. And then he put his he put his elbow down to break his fall, you know. But well, you remember they talked themselves out of send, sending off whoever did it to uh, an actual dirty tackle in the air on Tiernan O'Halloran two summers ago, and they're like, oh, well, I think I think his shoulder hits the ground first. Yeah, so the, I do remember like, that. Well, he's out. He's absolutely been poleaxed in the yeah, air, and he got he got had to be substituted. And it's like, oh, well, I think his shoulder hits the ground first, so he's so it's all right to to not send off the guy, mm. and he's just going like this. These whatever whatever logic they're employing to back up. Well, the rules. there is there is there isn't a logic. It gets yeah, refracted. No, sorry, yeah, it, it, it gets refracted from the big picture. So we, we we've mentioned it on a few occasions. But like the big risk to rugby. So there's a few things. The 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 threat of a class action lawsuit coming down the thread at some stage, probably from concussion. And rugby is really aware of that and has to do as much as it possibly can to mitigate the risk from that potential lawsuit. There is. The complete professionalization of the game since 1996 to the extent where you like where you've got really really good athletes now and then you've got to consider the safety of the players and rugby hasn't figured out that as somebody else made the point so if Bowden Barrett jumps up in the air to claim the ball is he not being reckless like do you not take a risk by going up to compete for the ball I had this explained and to me yeah but like so where is it going it's 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 a it's it's to do with how the the ball games are classified. So some ball games are skills games, um, and rugby is I think it's called a territorial game, in that your goal and it's not the only one. Soccer's another one. Getting football, your goal is to move a ball from one territory to another, uh, and you can only score when you have the ball. So if you kick the ball away, this was explained to me by a professional referee, how it's viewed is if you kick the ball away. Um, you are ceding the uh, preeminence mm. of your actions. You've decided I'm kicking the ball. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm, I'm literally giving the ball away rather than 
trying to score. He surrendered some protections. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So his point of view and the way it's refereed in England is that they don't see it as a 50-50 contest. They see that the... the um, the kicking team has ceded possession. Kicking team has ceded possession, so that the catching team. It's Premier Noctes, is it? Oh, it's <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's it, it was explained to me, and I, I I remember when it was explained to me that I wasn't fully um, convinced by it. But then, once you have to have a basic core. What do you not get here? Core concept. You have to have a core concept from which the rest of the rules spring. So, for example, one of those is on the line is over the line in rugby. Mm. You know, so all all the laws and that that governs something from touchline to twenty two kicking to doesn't make sense in twenty two obviously as well. No, it doesn't. On the line is over the <laughs> line. There's two lines, uh, but also to feeding the ball in the scrum. That one part of the ball has to go through the imaginary line. Yeah. So the end of the ball can go through the imaginary middle line. Yeah. Um, so there, w- when you have an idea like that, that informs the rest of your laws, I think that's a very strong uh, basis yeah. to build the rest of the laws on. Mm. That's why I think they also need to uh, fix the is the ball in touch line rules. But, but, but then but I anyway. think, but so just what happens is... So Let's you, go you back have, to some old, old games. <laughs> you have, but you have these big picture ideas that... And you know I normally hate big picture stuff. The way that the rest of the game is going to referee and then what happens is it got refracted where you get guys reviewing something for five minutes did he land on his shoulder or his head like the guys there crocked and you're there going Whoa. I don't want to I don't, wanna, of, I don't is, want is to send his, somebody is off is that his shoulder or his neck and yeah. you're there going like did you see what he did yeah. does it matter where he landed the guy is wrecked the other fella was not looking to get the ball he was just looking to upend the like, yeah hmm. And you get you get down, and the game, the rugby has not, just has not sorted that out. And again, you come back to the idea of like how much is it reasonable for the referee to do? So th- this is the discussion we had last week that we didn't anyway didn't see the light of day. That what I found myself after the Remy Grosso incident was backtracking on what I said about uh, Wayne Barnes and going like you can't expect the referee to be really superhuman and understand how bad the guy got injured or even mm. to understand like in in such a quick game. Uh, like the intention there that so you, you just you, you have to have zero tolerance for all those kind of seatbelt high tackles you have to go down the Wayne Barnes route and I'm there going man like that is never thought you'd hear yourself saying that did I you didn't, didn't think I'd say but like when you see a guy have his skull fractured by like a cheap shot that the guy was headhunting a New Zealand headhunt that New Zealand team headhunt mm. um You've a duty of care to the players. You've just you've a duty of care to the game, mm. which just means that it has to be refereed that way. You have to take the zero tolerance approach. So it's we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about not really referees in particular, just I suppose the challenges that the game faces. Yeah, we all we all know that it's not uh, it's not easy. We all know that, and you know. But they do have, uh, so in some games they just have an enormous, an enormous influence. It was one of the things about the England uh, South Africa match that I really enjoyed because it was really physical. I knew that the teams were that bothered, like by any sort of like there weren't even that many cheap shots. It mm. was just like there were there were a few sort of uh, grapples and, and tussles and all that sort of stuff. 
and both teams were well up for it. Mm. Neither team was looking for any sort of oh, you know, we're trying to get we're trying to get an edge on the opposition by getting somebody sent off or we're trying to game the referee. We're <laughs> like it was just big men smashing each other and having a pint after it. It was it was wonderful. It was yet again another really good test match. It was I enjoyed that game. Mm. I enjoyed it a lot. I think there was a like once it was it was it the classic thing where three tries were scored in the first ten minutes though. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I was like, this will be great. And then when I turned it back on, I think halfway through the Ireland, it wasn't it wasn't as good Argentina, as the first Argentina Iceland game. I was like, oh, England still haven't scored any points. Yeah, then. well, they didn't score any points for what it was seventy minutes, sixty nine minutes, or sixty eight minutes or something. Um, and it was it was an, it was another good game. I was looking forward to it. I did it. I I was a wasn't as good as the first test which was an absolute blinder uh, but it was an enjoyable game with plenty in it um, you know, going backwards now uh, you know the the uh, all of Eddie Jones's all his um, asides and jibes and uh, snarky comments are now getting fed back to him because uh, he was uh, he rode roughshod over everyone when he was he was on top and you know the other thing to remember is that it wasn't long ago that England were on an eighteen match winning streak certainly mm-hmm. in in the in the scheme of things not long ago no and, that, and they look utterly bereft of confidence and. You know, Razzy Rasmus has done a really good job. Uh, and the other guy who did a really good job and has, has ended up in Irish rugby is Stuart Lancaster. Like, mm. Lancaster, Lancaster's tenure looks much better now. Um, kind of the further away he gets from England, I guess. Absolutely. But the, and the better, and, and as well as Leinster have done. It's funny. Like, the, when, you, when you read about... Lancaster and English papers they still talk about the horror show that was and you know because it was their home world cup it obviously bit very very hard in the same way that I suppose Irish people will forever associate Eddie O'Sullivan with the 2007 rugby world cup mm. they backed rather than you know triple crowns three triple crowns in four years yeah um, and and I think that's that's going to be Lancaster's story with, with the English press especially uh, yeah but um, as as we, you've said before to me that when you look at the team that Eddie Jones picks, it's just Lancaster's team with Maro Toje in it. Still, yeah. And oh, I picked Maro Toje first. Yeah, well does. Yeah, and he, he's got like you know he's picked Jamie George and Ellis Genji now, and you sort of gone yeah. It's, it's three years later, Stuart or Eddie, you know you haven't. You haven't you haven't really done anything in your own image yet. Um, you know, you probably put a bit of attitude, and you picked Ford and Farron in the middle of the pitch. Which, um, but then you anyway. So look, I think we we sort of touch upon that in in greater detail maybe somewhere else. But I think the and then Scotland got beat by America. That was weird. I didn't expect to see it. Now I haven't seen that game, um, so. Any, and it, I don't really have anything of not going to really add much value here <laughs> what, what struck me about it was that 
like it, it can't be good for Scotland. So we're talking about Ireland and the, the selections that Joe Schmidt should be making. And the reason that he's not was that he's just gone all out to win this. Mm. And he, when you see a result like Scotland, USA, you go, but Schmidt doesn't really have much choice, does he? Absolutely. As much As much as we sit around here in our underwear, like what else... I'd like to stress we're fully clothed. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Farley. <laughs> now you're out there. Um, yeah, you just he he has to be. Well, you know, you know, the, my, the alternative, my... the alternative of losing isn't like it isn't good. It isn't good for anybody. No, it's not so, good for him. My my taking it is as I, I was saying to you on the other day, the international head coach's job, the club head coach's job, is to win games. That is his job. Um, as Peggy put it an international head coach development should happen on other people's watch that's what that's what clubs are for he should be involved in putting together a winning formula and you know we we're like most most other people in that we'd like to see this player and that player we don't look for change as often as quite a lot of uh, rugby fans would but you know, we still would, we still sort of want the best of both worlds. You can't always get it. No. And it, it's kind of commensurate with, or it's analogous rather with uh, Townsend's on the pitch coaching is that he is prepared to take these risks. Mm. And he used a lot of different players. Like he changed. Ferguson Brothers started that game. Ferguson like, Brothers. He changed almost the, an entire the, the, team. Like McGuigan started both matches. And the Horn and then brothers started. There was a few different switches. Like Kinghorn went from fullback to wing, and Tulis played in the second. Or Tulis, sorry, Tulis and McGuigan started. And apart from that, like everyone else changed. Mm. So everyone else kept matches. But losing to America can't be a positive. It, well, okay. Let me let me let me throw another idea back. You okay, you turn yeah, yeah. an eye on this. He's looking across. The other side of the world and you know it's whatever probably friday night in the states when he sees ireland beating australia a full strength australia team yeah. over there mm. and he's going like we lose to ireland in the group stage we're playing new zealand and we're done yeah okay. so he's going i have to play a higher risk game i have to blood more players i have to have a bigger squad and go <clears throat> and i don't know i'm not sure how the fixtures go in the world cup group pool whether they have like Japan and us in two weeks in a row, or because we we I don't know we have we've Scotland and Japan first two matches, first two matches. Yeah, I right. can't remember which the order right. is, but they're first two. I think Japan first. Japan first. Um, yeah. uh, because we thought for you, well, whatever it's oh, coming. I remember up, it is. We, we thought, oh, we've got the perfect lineup. We'll we'll you know build step by it. step be, build into it. We'll beat Italy. <laughs> we'll beat France. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll be we'll be perfectly primed for our inaugural World Cup quarterfinal victory. Yeah. As it turns out, we were completely destroyed. Decimated. 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 No, you know, that's not how we want to do it. We want to win our first two games against Scotland and Japan, mm. beat uh, Russia and... Whichever bride fest we end up playing. Belgium, Spain, Samoa, whoever it is we're playing. Um, and play what looks like it's going to be a resurgent Springboks in the in the quarterfinal where Scotland are going well we've got to beat Ireland and Scotland and and Japan 
the host to get out of our group. So maybe they're thinking we have to have. This is just a theory. I'm obviously no. Maybe. It's good. It's good because you know if you can find two or three players from that match mm. who do play well in adversity, and like no we, one's going to expect them to beat us if we're going to go over. That is one of the guys is going to be the Horn's brother, the scrum half. Yeah. Who like the difference between Gregor Laidlaw has serious upsides too. Mm. Very, very good goal kicker from inside thirty five meters. Very confident. Very confident. Very experienced. Good leader. But he's got downsides. He's yes. really sh- shit delivery for the international scrum half. And then just in general, Ponders doesn't have the break. Uh whereas Young Horn is electric. He is absolutely electric. He's torn it up for Glasgow. He's a really dangerous player to play against. And he could be a guy who, who emerges to be the next great Scott. And Scotland have had great scrum halves. Yes. Um, yeah, and maybe Hastings. Maybe Hastings getting a taste at out half. Maybe not. I mean, and he, he acknowledged it as much himself that you don't know when you're getting picked when you're younger. If you're just getting picked on the name and... You, you oh, would hope. It's his famous name, is it? <laughs> you might have heard of his father. Um, are Scotland doing the whole Shout thing? The <laughs> <laughs> Scotland doing the whole thing. The France are doing, where like their entire crop of like uh, John Long rugby vintage players <laughs> all have children now yeah. who are international rugby. Because yeah. I couldn't help but noticing in the first few minutes of that uh, of that New Zealand match, there was like Galtier, and I was like, oh my god, it's happening! It's finally <laughs> happening. Yeah. Well, Penno, uh, Entomac, Trevor Brennan, the uh, Dan Brennan's um, on the French under twenties. There's other ones as well. Didier Retier's son plays for. Does he play for Claremont? He's good. Yeah. So Scotland have got a Hastings coming through. Mm. A Charmers, by any Gavin's chance? Son. Just waiting for Scott. Scott's name. You know, Charmers <laughs> was the guy who got done for. Um, Performance on some drugs three or four years ago. Do you remember that from under twenty out half? Do now that you mention it. Yeah. Now Ivan Tukalo is coming through that. <laughs> Ivan Tukalo. There's a name from the past. Okay. Tony Stranger. No stranger to danger. Um I think that just about This has been wild. Wraps it up. Um any predictions for the Ireland game in Sydney? I'll just say this one before. One before uh, we, uh, I was told by um, an Irish man who had lived in Australia for nearly nine years. He said that the Aussies. Six uh, two eyes are blue. No, he, yeah, yeah, he's. <laughs> he can match that description. He said that um, yeah, Brisbane is where the Aussies go to win test matches, mm. and um, Melbourne, like that game was played. I was asking about the Amy Stadium. He was like, it's kind of like it's a soccer stadium or the league stadium. But like that's you know uh, AFL or cricket country, um, so he said also that Sydney would have a very big Irish support, and he expected us to have Sydney, a strong team. Out Sydney there. is going to be sold out. I heard. What are your predictions? Big stadium. I I sort of actually foresee a very similar scoreline to the second test, but possibly in Australia's favour. I think Australia will win. Unfortunately, I think Ireland are going to win. <gasps> Good stuff. And the reason not. I think that is. They're very used to it. And to winning. Very used to winning and probably to con- 
not as much contradictory as just explore different things. There's probably going to be a lot of impact off the bench from guys who realize, oh, Quinn Root. <laughs> this. <laughs> I really very much doubt Quinn Root is going to be involved. Do you think Cooney is going to get. Who do you think is going to be on the scrum, scrum half bench? Cooney. Do you think. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Hold your. I'll tell you this, right? Cooney will come on because Murray gets injured and he played really, really well. Um, I think that. I think Toner will start. I think Henderson will come off the bench and have a monster display. I think that Jack McGrath, I think Andrew Porter. There's, there is depth in certain positions, like really, really proper depth in certain positions in Irish rugby. And I think guys are going to be looking and going, I want to be part of this. And like, who's he going to pick in the centres? Because oh, they keep on saying, they keep on sort of saying, oh, all, these, all these guys, these guys have knocks. So who's he, who's he going to pick on the bench then? He's going to pick Carberry and... Is Aki going to make the 23? No, Larmer will be the... Larmer will be the outside. Yeah. So Aki doesn't make it and that's... You're sort of looking around and you're going, he's good. Is Stockdale fit? Having depth means leaving good players on the bench. Oh, no, no, no that, that's yeah. what I mean. But I No, think no, it's just a stock phrase I go to. It's like selection is an art, not a science. If you're, if Somebody you're, else probably said it before. I think if you're a player and you, you sort of see the penny dropping and you go... Oh, well, I really like, want to be want part to be, of this. I want to be a part of this. Yeah, mm. and uh, I just think Ireland are more used to winning than. I think it's going to be really tough to win in Australia. They'll have their, uh, they'll have their backs to the wall, and I think Australia will will sneak it. it missing, is big loss. Missing any of them. Huge loss. loss for them. Huge loss. Very right. It's a good point. Um, and oh, yeah. They've beaten, the New Zealand, they've beaten the New Zealanders with Phipps, though. So, who knows? I think it'll be a very tight test match. Yeah. I think in the mid-20s points for either one, and I really hope we win it, because then... Do France and New Zealand have another game? They do, yeah. Okay. We've got 30 seconds left to tape, though, so let's wrap it up here. <laughs> <laughs> Will I do step-by-step step again? Step-by-step <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, baby Gonna get to you, girl Step by step. Uh.